does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Let's get Dave DeFore in here, host and producer at The Athletic. Covers the NBA. We'll talk NBA playoffs. I'm just curious, though, Dave, with Eddie Garrison, he was just playing Renegade, sort of like the Steelers anthem, if you will, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Are you an NFL guy at all, as well as a big NBA guy? Yeah, I used to be a big NFL guy, but I just don't have the TV bandwidth for other sports right now. So, like, I catch games here and there. Like, I'll catch them in a bar or something like that. And I'll follow a little bit. But, man, I I don't know how people have time in the day to follow sports the way that they do. I'm impressed with, like, fans. How do you pay attention to four leagues, professional wrestling, and pretend to care about the Olympics? (laughs) (laughs) So who was your squad that you're just casually watching now? Well, you know what, man? I have uh, uh, removed myself from the burden of fandom completely. I don't know when it happened, but it did. But I grew up a 49ers fan. I'm from Richmond, Virginia, so uh, I wasn't going to root for the Washington team. And uh, they had Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. So, like, I kind of had a great uh, childhood of sports. You know, I had those guys. I got to root for the Chicago Bulls. I became a Yankees fan. You know, it was like... I don't know. It's basically like LeBron James picking and choosing the best teams. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Um, NBA wise, what did you think? Just give us an analytical breakdown of Jordan Poole <laughs> of the Warriors. He pulled from twenty-eight feet away. The Warriors were down by three. Analytically, what would you say about that shot selection? I, honestly, the shot itself was totally fine. It was completely fine. I, I know everyone's caught up on the 28-footer thing. They needed a three. It was early enough that maybe they could get an offensive rebound. They were top-locking Clay. Clay was not going to get open. Obviously, we saw that they set the double team to step. And so you're at a point where you've got to make a decision. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt ha- had been excellent all night, was coming, coming down hard on Jordan Poole. I'm not sure. I watched it back a couple of times because, you know, my initial thought was, wow, he probably could have gotten a little rhythm dribble there to his left and got a better shot. Uh, not necessarily a closer shot. The 28-foot part doesn't bother me. These guys shoot about the same percentage right at the line as they do from about 28, 29 feet. It doesn't really start to drop until you get beyond, like, that 32-foot mark or so. And I know not to get too in the weeds here, but um, the shot itself didn't bother me. It was the previous shot. It was the previous possession where he just completely lost his brain. Um, This guy is both a wonderful talent that does amazing things with his body, but also one of the least uh, combobulated human bodies on the planet. This guy's arms and legs seem to sometimes act with a mind of their own. He has no idea what he's doing at the time. And the the crazy part about it is he's a bit of a chaos agent as a basketball player because the chaotic good is sometimes so good that the chaotic bad, uh, you kind of have to tolerate because the highs are very, very high. But, man, those lows are really low. Dave DeFore with us of The Athletic. Dave, I know we're going to you know, take trips around all the series that are going on right now, but sticking with Golden State and L.A. for a second, the major talking point going into the series, Anthony Davis is going to have to be that dominant for them to have a real chance to win this thing. From a Warriors perspective, are there adjustments that can be made to slow him down with what they have on the roster? 
I don't think anyone's made overnight growth pills. So that <laughs> one adjustment is out the window, right? They can't make themselves taller. I think that they can play a little bigger. Um, and I think that uh, on, on the offensive end, you know, that's really where the problem is for them. None of, no scoring at the basket. If you go back and look at that King series, they ate them up inside. I mean, that game seven, Steph Curry, I believe, had 18 points in the paint. Um, my big takeaway from last night, one of the big things that stand out to me, Steph Curry going in for one of those scoop layups, and Anthony Davis sent that thing back. So, you know, Anthony Davis is a problem for them around the basket. So I think that they've actually got to go small earlier, draw him out into the actions. They've got to get him away from the basket. If he can just sit in there – and roam and sort of play center field, he's going to be basically swatting anything inside. And it doesn't help him that Wiggins and Gary Payton, they smoked a couple easy ones. So, you know, they didn't even get the easy ones where he wasn't around the basket. So they have to dominate the minutes that he's not on the court, especially inside. But they got to find a way to get him pulled out away from the basket defensively. That was the game yesterday. They couldn't score at the rim, and the Lakers own the paint. So, you know, if they could figure out a way to, to get past that, I'd be really impressed. But as it stands, man, I, I think that they're going to have to go smaller that, rather than play Looney and Draymond together. This is going to sound, Dave, like a total knee-jerk question and prisoner of the moment question. So it might be a double whammy, but I'm going to ask it anyway. With the the Lakers, with what you just explained, how the, the Warriors are undersized and AD can take advantage of that, and in other ways, styles make fights. Do you think that the Warriors are actually a better matchup for the Lakers than the Kings would have been? No, I think that the Kings uh, probably don't stand a chance against the Lakers. I, I still think the Warriors can win the series. I mean, you know, losing a game one is not a big deal to this team. I believe that they've lost their last three game ones consecutively. And, you know, we know that they just beat the Kings, but they also lost game one of the finals last year. So, I don't worry about this team at all. I still expect them to make the finals and win this series. I just can't go against Steph Curry. You know, he's, he's the ultimate winner. And so I, I think that one of the biggest adjustments, like I said, going small. But on the defensive end, they, they did start doing this late during their comeback, and I think that this will be the blueprint for, for game two. They started picking Anthony Davis up higher and holding him out of the paint because he was beating him down court. He was getting deep seals. He was just getting interior position, and, and that was hurting him. Um, the other thing is, you know, the Lakers actually shot the ball pretty well, and, and they, they aren't really that good of a shooting team. They didn't get the three-point volume uh, that, that they're going to need to hang with the, lawyer, so with the Warriors, and I think that ultimately the Lakers run into a math problem against this Warriors team. Dave, when we go out east, surprised at all that Joel Embiid plans to play tonight barring a setback? At least that's the reports. Uh, no, not at all guy's a warrior man and, and this is a huge opportunity if they can if they can take this game too well then all of a sudden they're in the driver's seat going home trying to get to the conference finals um yeah so i think if he's if he's ready to play him playing man that's that's just not a surprise he uh he's played hurt a lot more than people realize you know we all know that he misses time and you know it, it, it's been held against him but this season in particular, I think this guy has just played through a lot of injuries that other guys probably would have sat for. I mean, it meant a lot to him to try to be out on the court. So for him to actually play in game two doesn't shock me at all. Not at all. I- I'm glad to see them going for it rather than pulling the smart guy move of, well, we won game one, let's just wait till game three. This shows an impetus 
to try to win, which is, you know, that's what sports is all about, right? Like you play to win the game and you always put your best foot forward. And this is clearly that. So I think it's huge. If they could come away with a win and go home up two games to zero, I don't see how they don't win the series. He's Dave DeFore, host and producer at The Athletic, joining us here on The Fan. You know, Dave, you think about all the injury issues in the NBA playoffs. It's been crazy, the amount of attrition. If you look at the team as of right now, subject to change, like May 3rd, today, who knows what's going to happen tonight and throughout the week, but who would you say is the team that's best positioned to compete for a title just injury-wise and the team that's in the toughest spot injury-wise as well? Well, it's got to be the Denver Nuggets. They're up two games to none on Kevin Durant and the Suns. Everyone on their team is, appears to be healthy. I think Jokic has a little wrist thing, but he's playing through that. And, you know, just had a 40-point triple-double. So, clearly, he's unbothered. I think it's got to be them. They were the best team in the West all year. Nobody wants to believe in them. In spite of them being the best team in the West all year, the amount of chemistry that's on display every single night for them, these guys know how to play together. And you can see that especially the stark contrast between them and the Phoenix Suns, who when things start to get a little rough, they tend to get a little rough on the court. So I think it's got to be the Nuggets. And as far as the other way, I think it's the Miami Heat. Man, this Jimmy Butler injury, they were riding high when he got hurt. They took that first mm-hmm. game against the Knicks. They, they should have won game two, you could argue. And I think if Jimmy was out there, they, they likely do. Uh, if he can't go in game three, they may be down two games to one before he can get back because the Knicks kind of figure some stuff out, especially with Julius Randle out there playing a little bit of bully ball. So I, I think it's got to be the Heat. Jimmy Butler has been the best player in the playoffs this year. And the Heat look like they were on at least a conference finals pass. If he can't go or if he's diminished, I just don't know if they've got enough firepower to beat the Knicks. So I, I think it's the Miami Heat. we got to watch that Jimmy Butler situation closely. Dave, do you think that the Heat did the exact opposite of what you were happy the Sixers are going to do tonight, which is they had that mentality of, hey, we got a game, we're fine, and they just wanted to punt to going back to South Beach? I don't think that's it. I mean, have you ever have you ever sprained an ankle? It's a high ankle sprain. I mean, this is a, you know, this is a bad injury. A, a knee sprain, it, I'm not going to say it's, it's not as bad of an injury, but you can sometimes play through it, whereas an ankle – no. And I'm a bit of what I refer to as an ankle truther here. I think that NBA players come back so early from ankle injuries that, that people have an unrealistic expectation for the timeline of healing of an ankle injury. This is a six to eight, maybe even eight to 12 week recovery period for this ankle. Like this thing is not going to be right until sometime this summer for Jimmy Butler. That's a bad ankle sprain. Just the fact that we're talking about him potentially coming back two days later just shows you what the medical staffs are like, what these athletes kind of go through. Um, But for him to miss the game, knowing that Jimmy Butler is one of the toughest competitors in the NBA, does not miss playoff games for anything. Um, That should tell us all about the severity of this. So, no, I'm not going to hit them for punting because I don't think there's punting. I think Jimmy couldn't go. And I think that if he can go in game three, because it's going to be, you know, it's injury – Mitigation, you know, you don't want to make it worse with an ankle. That's an issue because it is a four, like it's a it's a round joint. You're going all over the place with that thing, and you need that stability. So you have to worry about re-injury, and then it gets the pain tolerance. If they can get to the point where the only thing they worry about is pain tolerance, Jimmy Butler will play. You know, Dave, you strike me as a guy who's sprained an ankle badly a time or two in his lifetime. What is? 
Yeah? I, I want to know, Dave, uh, have you done it? Is that what you said? One time, yeah. One time. Um, I tore, I ruptured four ligaments. Ooh. And uh, I, my leg was black from my knee down. Oh, so that's what I want to know. Without saying it, Dave, what was your word or phrase of choice to yell out in agony? Um, I, I yelled "sob" as loud as I could. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? With it's, I think it's a numbing mechanism, right? Like you got to yell something out in uh, in pain and anger. It, it it's kind of like if you have a finger injury, and you kind of shake it out. I don't think it really helps, but somehow it feels better, right? Actually, the shaking out does help. It it's does. Sort of like when you, yeah, if you rub the pain, like if you get punched and you rub it, it's actually like there's pain radiation, so you can actually spread that pain a little bit ah. to the other nerves, so it's not as acute. It isn't a, I was married to a dentist, so I know a lot about nerves. <laughs> and <laughs> but with an, with an ankle or something like that, I think that the act of yelling, and I'm just guessing here, it probably releases some adrenaline which helps you fight through the pain. If you think about, like, our ancestors, uh, guess what? You don't have time to lay on the ground if you got injured and there are wolves around. So, you know, you can yell, and that gives you the adrenaline to fight through the pain, and then it hurts again later. I'm guessing. I'm guessing there that that is the uh, sort of evolutionary impetus for the yelling out in pain. Hey, man, I think yelling helps at times. It depends when you do it. Like, the, the vehicle backing up in the background. If you just yeah, stop backing up right now, I, I think it would be kind of like liberating. There, I'm outside of a good. There's a construction zone across the street. I can't, I can't escape it. I'm in the gym. I'm going to do some yelling here in the gym. There you uh, go. In 20 minutes, yeah. Love that, Dave. Well, hey man, thanks for the time today. Enjoy the rest of the playoffs, and we'll catch you soon. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. You guys take care. All right, you too. There he is, Dave DeFore, host and producer at the Athletic. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I want to welcome in Joe Rexroad, senior writer and columnist for The Athletic Nashville. You know, Joe, I got to try to hide my jealousy that you guys landed Will the Thrill Levis. I'm being dead serious. I, I think that he's the better quarterback than Anthony Richardson. Indianapolis collectively hates my guts right now, not doing it for dramatic effect. But, Joe, I, I, I've got Will the Thrill uh, jealousy over here. What do you think about that? Well, you should talk to some Titans fans. <laughs> <laughs> Do they hate the move, Joe? So, well, here's the thing. You you obviously have a pretty big cross-section of Titans fans who are also Tennessee Volunteers fans, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. That That's about 99% hate it, okay? Mm. So, and, and so, there's a couple things. One is, you know, obviously the last couple of years, the Vols have played against him, and Will Levis is he's he's kind of a he's outspoken on the field. He's a little brash, so I think there was already a personal dislike. But then also last year they took such pleasure in just I mean he threw for ninety eight yards and three picks in a forty four six loss against a like a average at best defense, right? So. So it, not only do they not like him, and did, not only do they enjoy that, but they watch that and they're like, "This guy stinks." <laughs> so yeah, so I mean, there's there's a lot of that. I, I do think that by far, Will Levis was the least popular of the five quarterbacks who could have been, you know, been selected by the Titans. And there's also the Hendon Hooker aspect here. Of course, a lot of those same people were really hoping they'd take him. Um, so and actually, I have a 
you know, at, at 102.5, the game here in Nashville, our afternoon host, also was, like, so desperate for them to draft Anthony Richardson that on our draft show, he, like, you know, he basically had a complete meltdown on the air about it. So, I mean, there's a lot going on here. I think I think people are talking themselves into Will Levis, but, yeah, maybe you could give them a pep talk. I'm free for hire. You know, I, I won't even charge, Joe. I'll go on with you, no problem. <laughs> Joe, you, know, you know how it goes, right? Everybody oh, yeah. talks themselves into it. It won't take long. Yeah. Joe, I'm not quite as – Hi, on Will Levis. In fact, I'd say I'm, I'm exactly the opposite of my co-host here. But wow. uh, all that being said, I, I want to pivot to the other quarterback in Nashville, in Ryan Tannehill. This is now the second year in a row that he's had to have what I imagine was a, you know, in some ways uncomfortable press conference for him talking about the elephant in the room, which is a potential heir apparent at QB. How was his tone today different, if at all, than last year? Yeah, that's a great question, and he and he just wrapped it up. So last year, um, you know, it, it was a little different. Uh, first of all, last year, he didn't come to the voluntary stuff early. He did this year. So we talked to him a lot later. Last year, he had a comment about Malik Willis, and it, w- it, it went absolutely nuts. It, it was on every argument show, you know, and, and basically it was, it's not my job to mentor him, which, you know, in the proper context, that what was basically like, hey, like I'm here to help, I'm here to be a good teammate, but you know, it's not my judgmental. But of course, you take out just those words, and it sounds like he was sort of having his own little tantrum about it. Uh, so he kind of took a lot of heat between that and not coming here, and he was coming off the playoff disaster. So there was a lot of he was telling us a lot about, I mean, having you know, going to see a therapist and dealing with the the mental health aspect of of that playoff failure. So like. It's, it's different because this year, you know, he's here early, uh, and there was, there was I don't think there's anything that he said that's going to, you know, get him in trouble. But also, this year, it is different. I mean, he, look, he knows this is it. He knows this is last year now. Last year, there was still a reasonable expectation. There was still a reasonable question about whether Malik Willis would ever actually challenge him for the job. We thought at the time, okay, this year, this time this year, that'll be a competition. Well, after a year with Malik Willis, it's obvious they don't think a lot about him because they just drafted over him. But to that, they also moved up to the second round to get a guy who was a first-round projection, and it's pretty obvious to Ryan Tannehill, and I, or maybe more than obvious, it may be stated clearly he wouldn't get into conversations that this is it. You know, this this is an opportunity to quarterback this team and really try to set himself up for a future somewhere else. So it is very different from that uh, from that perspective. We're talking to the Titans with Joe Rexroad here on The Fan. You know, There was a lot of talk and speculation that the Titans might move up from number 11 to number 3 to go with the quarterback. I mean, based on those rumors leading up to the draft, who was the quarterback that most Titans fans wanted? Well, that's a good question. Um, I know the Titans wanted C.J. Stroud, and that's they were trying to move up to get C.J. Stroud. So, now who the Titans fans wanted? You know, again, I, I mean, I do think there a lot of people did want Hendon Hooker, and the idea of what if the Titans could trade back, get more picks because they need picks, but then also get Hendon Hooker late in the first, get that fifth year option, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I, I, that's probably the number. I mean, he'd probably be. Close to number one, certainly plenty of. I mean, plenty of people I'm sure would have liked Bryce Young, but you kind of knew mm-hmm. as the draft grew near that that wasn't going to happen. 
Um, and look, I mean, I still think a lot more people wanted Anthony Richardson than Will Levis. You know, they, and and that's how the way I kind of framed it going in is like, I would, I personally would draft Richardson over Levis just because I think the ceiling with Richardson is outrageously high, and the floor the floor is lower probably, but but the ceiling's so high, and like they're both they're kind of similar, right? They have great traits, but we haven't seen consistent performance yet. What does that mean? Lately in the NFL, we've seen more guys like that actually work out in the league. But, I mean, I, I think Levis would have been last. And I wanted to have you take us through what changed or what the, the Titans shared, if anything, that changed with their draft process in trading up to get Will Levis. Because you've mentioned it already, Dane Brugler had a grade of a first round for Will Levis. They have an opportunity to go get him with pick 11. They, they don't. They address offensive line instead what changed within that front office? Was it the value? Was it the idea that your rivals now have two potential franchise quarterbacks and you can't afford to pass this up? Well, what changed with them to trade up to go get Will Levis in round two? Well, like you said, I mean, it wasn't the last thing because they knew that when they came up at 11, right? Right. Um, so, so it's a great question. The way they explained it, and I mean, if you look at their whole draft – they needed a receiver by far the biggest need. If you just look at positional need, they needed a receiver way more than anything else. They didn't get a receiver until the seventh round. They took a running back in the third round when there was still a lot of, you know, well-rated receivers available. So I believe I take them at their word that they absolutely went faithful to their big board and they were shocked that Peter Skronsky was available. They thought he'd be gone. So they took him at eleven. Now, you know, then it's like, okay. I mean, in my mind, it was like, all right, well, then they're trying to actually have the best possible team for this swan song for Henry and Tannehill, and they're going to have to figure out quarterback another way. And if Tannehill's really good, he might get another deal. And then they and then they move up and get Levis in a second. I mean, I think the answer is they didn't think he'd be there. They figured someone would be grabbing Levis late in the first. There was some There was some reporting. I don't have this confirmed. There was some reporting that, they made some calls to try to get late first to get him, uh, but weren't able to do it. And Buffalo was one of the teams that has been mentioned. They ended up sticking and taking a tight end. But um, basically, I feel like it, they just looked at it and said, well, gosh, he's still there. What, what a value to be able to get him and also still get Skaronsky. So I guess you could say they lucked out. But also it's like, so how much do you love Will Levis if you, you know, were willing to just let him slide at 11. Yeah. He's Joe Rexroad from The Athletic and ESPN 102.5, the game in Nashville. Nashville. I got this cold thing going on here, Joe. I don't know what's going on with my voice, man. But I'm powering through. I'm, I'm powering through like Will ne- Will uh, like uh, <laughs> Will Levis through the negativity over there in Nashville. But how bad is it? Paint a picture for us. Is Will Levis right now less popular than Malik Willis with Titans fans. Is it that bad? Oh, no. Oh, no, no. no. (laughs) Okay, good. I mean, mean, so we're at Wednesday, and I knew this would happen. I mean, it's already already pivoted toward, you know what? This guy does have some talent. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yeah. That's how it goes. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, look, the funny thing is I wrote a column last week for The Athletic, and I said, okay, I'm – if, if you go process of elimination and read the tea leaves, this is this is what's going to happen. And I wrote they were going to they were going to end up with Will Levis. 
I actually wrote they might have to move up to like six or eight to get them, right? But but when I wrote that column, uh, the, the response was, I'm done being a Titans fan then. So I'm out. So, and, what, and initially when they drafted him, at least one Titans fan made like a feeble effort to like burn their old Eddie George jersey and put it on oh, Twitter. Geez. So, uh, you know, so the initial reaction was, and even at Monday morning, largely negative. It's already transitioned. I mean, like, like you have to embrace it. And I mean, look, if you really, if you can step back at all, I mean, you like Levis. I mean, look, I don't, I don't think it's it's outrageous to think he can be really good. Yeah. He's got a lot of things you like. I think one of the things I like the most about him is he was at Kentucky for like a week, and his teammates voted him a captain. Like, I mean, I think he does have some natural leadership. I know that he impressed Vrabel in the visit here, which is not easy to do. You know, it's just a matter of finding consistency and look Kentucky had a bad offensive line no re- they had freshman receivers like there's a lot of excuses you can make for the guy and that's the process that is going on right now with Titans fans Joe it's a tale as old as time once the draft happens how quickly can you simulate where the depth chart's going to go with four months in between so I, I continue that exercise with you we've done it with Anthony Richardson here the last couple of days what's his timeline with the Titans and will there be a legitimate quarterback competition this training camp and into the preseason? Well, I'll be really surprised if he could could uh, threaten Tannehill. Tannehill's still good. You know, Tannehill's a good player. I mean, last year, I actually was really impressed with what Ryan Tannehill did with arguably the worst offensive line in the league. And, you know, they trade away A.J. Brown, and he's relying on a rookie and, you know, can't really play. I, I was actually really impressed with him last year. I think Tannehill – Will prove to be a lot better than Will Levis. If, if I mean, I'm sure they'll they'll try to make it a competition, but I think Tannehill will be the starter. And you know, it's, if they're not good enough and they're losing enough, at some point you can see the transition happening. But look, I think Will Levis has a chance to work out. I think the best case for him is to not play. I think the same thing at Richardson. I know there's a lot, all that talk up there that he's going to play this year. I I personally would rather just let him not play at all. I think Malik Willis was hurt a lot by having to play last year. Mm. He just wasn't ready. But um, I, I, it's look, Will Levis is going to get his shot in 2024. It, Hill's performance in 19 and 20 in particular, that is a high bar. Uh, that the, My question is, will he ever get to that point? I mean, I don't know. But I think that this year it will, it will definitely be Tannehill as long as they are still – viable in the AFC South race. Hey, Joe, great stuff, man. Appreciate your time, and we'll catch you down the road. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. For sure. Joe Rexroad, senior writer and columnist for The Athletic Nashville, also on the radio, too. Did a good job. ESPN 1025, The Game.